Welcome everybody. I'm Bob from Creation Station. Welcome to another session presented by Built-in Broward. Built-in Broward is the year-long program uh, that breaks down the barrier for uh, uh, to make technical training and entrepreneurship available for underrepresented minorities in Broward County. We've been going on for a couple of months with this. Hope you've all heard about it. If you haven't, email us at builtinbroward.com or creationstation at broward.org. Uh, Sheldon Burke is the person in charge of that program, and he can be reached directly at sburke, B-U-R-K-E, at broward.org. Today, we have a special guest with us who is going to be talking about ethics in AI. <clears throat> um, Chloe, I'm going to put you on the big screen first here. Welcome. Thank you very much for being here with us, Chloe. How are Hi. you doing tonight? Um, I'm good. I'm on the West Coast. So for me, it is still mid-afternoon. Um, and so I am getting beautiful Pacific sunshine. It is glorious. It is a warm day outside and I am fantastic. That is excellent. I am glad for that. I am going to throw up our slideshow presentation for you and I'm going to drive the slides as we're going along here. And again, I want to introduce everybody here. Today's presentation is about introduction to artificial intelligence, to AI, and ethics. So we're going to cover some basic definitions for everyone. Don't worry about that. And then we're going to get into your questions as we're going along. So fill them out into the chat as you wish. And we're going to get started right now. So, Chloe, take us off on this first one because I really do love your first quote here today. Um, so this is something I wrote in a notebook a long time ago when I was actually planning um, a different talk about ethics. Um, that talk is called, I still drink almond milk and other ethical conundrums. Uh, if you've ever seen The Good Place, you get the joke. If not, almond milk is a big ethical bad. Um, but I wrote this in a notebook and when you asked me to come and speak about this, this was kind of the thing that came back to me and is sort of really the heart of ethics and therefore artificial intelligence ethics for me. Um, and I just very succinctly said, you know, at the end of the day, the study of ethics is the study of harm reduction. And so the study of AI ethics is the study of AI harm reduction. And I think to me, like the, the most key part of that is there is no such thing as a perfect ethical truth. I would love to tell you that there is some platonic code out there from which all ethics come. But at the end of the day, ethics are looking around and going, wow, what are we doing that's hurting other people and how can we stop doing that? And I think that cuts it down from being this big intimidating topic that feels like you have to have a college degree to approach and you have to have studied for years and you have to read all these papers. And it brings it down to something real, right? It brings it down to, is this causing harm in my life, in the lives of people around me? And if it is, what can I do to minimize that harm? Yeah, and I think that's one of the real interesting parts of getting people out there to understand where that harm reduction is the primary thing to do, not the profit motive of what AI can make for your company or what it can do for you, which is why people have undoubtedly seen Google and everybody in the news 
over the last couple of weeks and months with lots of information about that as people come and go from the company in disagreement over which should be prioritized, the harm reduction or the profit motive of solving for the big tech. And I think before we move on, I just want to tag on to this with this sort of food for thought idea, right? Which is these tools aren't going anywhere, right? AI is going to be here forever because we have invented it. We have time to sit down and get the answers right. And if there is profit to be made, taking the time to get the answers right isn't going to make that profit magically vanish. It's not going anywhere. Chasing it too early, on the other hand, cuts off all kinds of other opportunities, opportunities we have to improve the technology, opportunities we have to reduce harm, maybe even opportunities we have to see that what we thought was the profit motivation there is actually a dry well and the real contribution of this technology, the way it's going to make a difference and, and improve people's lives and make money is actually some other field entirely, right? So. Yeah, it's chasing the big shiny thing first before actually stopping and looking all around you at things. So let's get a couple of definitions out of the way for you, everybody here so that you know exactly what we're talking about. And our first one here is what artificial intelligence really is. Um, okay, and I want to take one step back here and say I hate oh, sure. the phrase artificial intelligence. Like, I understand that that's what the field is called and that that is what we have all bought into as a concept. But I hate this phrase. AI, as it actually exists, is a computer or other machine that mimics or simulates human intelligence across a variety of fields. In current practice, that means applying rules to data sets to obtain results. This isn't intelligence, it's procedure. So, like, that's step one. We have it's really, really complicated direction followers. But ultimately, AI is a set of instructions that are followed by a machine to generate a result. And if we can think of it less as artificial intelligence, right, this, this external brain or, you know, human cognitive, cognitive ability out of nowhere, right, and think of it rather as IA or intelligence assistance, I think that helps us more correctly categorize the tool because ultimately what all of these sets of, of directions are is ways to offload our thinking and our decision-making process so that we can move on to the next task. And so I heard this metaphor once, right? That we all think of AI as being like these robots that are gonna come in and like rule over us. But that the best model to actually think of it is something more like a centaur where we're gonna take the best parts of like human cognition and the best parts of offloading this complex decision-making to machines that can do it much, much faster than we can. And out of that, we're gonna come out with this mythical creature that's like better than either side could be alone. I, I, I we're both in agreement on this one. Um, I always have, have said, you know, I it's, like you say, it's offloading your decision making. Nobody thinks about the calculator as replacing math, because we just all accept now that you you're going to do this. You you just accept you're going to store these memories someplace so that you can come back to them, etc. So yeah, um, 
And that leads us over straight into the AGI. Artificial general intelligence is the pop culture concept of AI. It's Skynet becoming cognizant. It's our new robot overlord. It's, you know, the computers that rule the matrix. It is every terrible dark fantasy that everyone has. Um, and I stand very firmly in the camp that says that even if computers do achieve sentience, it's not going to look anything like that because that is a human projection of human cognition. And if a computer achieves sentience, it is not going to think like a human because it is not a human. It is not subject to the influences and contexts that affect our cognition. It will have different constraints and therefore different outcomes. And it's just like the droids from Star Wars or whatever else. I mean, nobody thinks of them as horrible robotic creatures. Everybody just accepts them as people. And yep. here, they're just people as part of the thing. So I don't, you're right in that part of that weird, like why it's going to take over. Um, what do you think is the likelihood that we would actually know it's smart enough to be considered AGI? I mean, honest to gosh, my real answer to that is, we'll know robots are sentient when they decide to tell us they're sentient. Yeah. Um, because to assume anything else is to assume I am smarter than a black box I can't interrogate. And I think that that's one of the things I've heard uh, bandied about in the literature and stuff is, it, we're teaching them to, uh, with reward functions and stuff like that to hear, you know, you do this work and that. So if we treat them just like they're human and we just keep loading more work on them, why would they ever, if they're actually smart, why would they ever tell us they could do more if they all of a sudden understand they're just going to be given more work? So why would, why I have, would they tell us? <laughs> I, have, I have an entire sidetrack. We could spend an hour alone on robots are people too and robot rights are human rights. And yes that in very real ways, our projections of the ways AI is going to be bad to us are actually our projections of the ways society is currently bad to what we see as the underclass, because we are always afraid that the worst we do is going to be revisited upon us. And yeah. that's why we come up with ideas like Skynet and then drive ourselves into that hole, right? Yeah. Like that's, that's that the end that of that. Re that. That reflection on us, yeah. Yeah. So we do have some, we have some other terms we need. We've already thrown out a couple of these terms and I want to make sure everybody gets, gets these things here um, for mm -hmm. what's actually here. So machine learning, um, give us in a nutshell. Machine learning is AI that uses training data and reinforcement um, to learn how to apply algorithms correctly. I use the word learn in quotation marks because machines as we understand it, are not learning. What's happening is they are applying a set of rules, which is an algorithm, which I think is right underneath, yes, a set of rules yep. followed by a program to complete a task. So these machines aren't learning per se. They're taking this rule set, they're passing data through it, they're emitting results, and then they're, the machines are being reinforced. These were good results, you did well. These results were bad. 
And usually the algorithm is tuned, like they find patterns in what was bad and tune the algorithm to get rid of those and then turn up the good parts so that it over time, theoretically, accurately applies the set of rules to any new piece of data passing through it. Yeah, and like somebody said in the chat, it's, it's kind of like having an automated flow chart where the decision-making passes through and the, the advantage of doing this with algorithms and machine learning is it passes through, it gets to that spot where you, you have your block of no and it can understand and go back and retrace the path and use a different part of the tree to try and go to a different way to be able to do that kind of stuff. Yep, and machine learning, there are different ways of training machines. Um, so you can do, there's like that flowchart style. There is also a style that involves basically generating multiple results and then weighting them. So you're like, okay, these five versions came out the same. So that is clearly more accurate. So we lean into that, for example. And I'm going to skip the one on our, if you're watching the chart, we're skipping that one and we're going to deep learning because deep learning follows right there through machine learning and things like that. And it's and because they both say learning, a lot of people are getting confused. So let's make sure that the difference between deep learning and machine learning. Okay, so deep learning, which is a phrase I hate. There's a lot of this really in this talk. Like 80% of this is me talking about why our vocabulary is bad because if you don't have good vocabulary, you can't actually talk about a thing. This is why we have bias in the system is because it was designed by only four old white, more younger white men. And we need to get new blood into the system to come up with newer, new ways of explaining and new ways of uh, talking about these. But go back. I'm sorry. Deep so, learning. Machine learning, you can think of the concept that we're explaining there as I have this one filter and I have all of this water and I'm going to pass it through this one filter. And whatever ends up in the bucket is the thing I was trying to find. Deep learning is I have all these different filters. I have uh, this really fine filter for particulate and this really fine filter for some kind of metals. And you get all of those filters and then you pass what's called multidimensional data. <laughs> um through all of the filters and so the idea is there are more filters and there are more layers to the data and the filters act against the layers um to create a deeper result um one of the things that everyone's super familiar with as a deep learning concept i shouldn't say everyone one of the things many people are familiar with as a deep learning concept is that Google image thing that would like identify images mm -hmm. for you and mutate them. And it always comes back to eyeballs. Everything comes back to eyeballs. Um, but uh, neural nets are also used for generating images. Um, so when they talk about deep fakes, um, that deep is the same deep that's in deep learning. And what it means is it's this multi-axis rather than just a single dimension. So instead of just saying, okay, a face is eyes and a nose and ears, it's like, okay, I have seen 500 faces 
and a face's eyes that are placed within a certain amount of space and ears that are in a certain place and a mouth that's in a certain place and the skin should look like this. Um, so yeah, the deep here just means many, many layers as opposed to a more flat procedural one-time bucket. We'll come back to deep fakes in another class. As as we get into all sorts of confusing things there. So let's go step one back up there for natural language processing. This is one that actually I'm going to guess everybody in the audience is familiar with, even if you don't know what it is, because you may want to hit mute real quick on them. If I say the word Alexa or if you say Siri or hello, Google, there I've triggered everybody's rooms now. I've got a better one. Yeah. If you have ever called a phone system where you have to say your birth date you to go. a computer, you have encountered NLP. Yes. And so those are not artificial intelligence, as we talk about in that class, in our smart speaker class. But natural language processing is all about taking these algorithms, machine learning, deep learning, and combining it on human speech so that everybody can in theory, we'll be able to understand what you're doing. Yep. That is and basically it. <laughs> is, yeah. And this is the big um, thing in, in the world right now. And in fact, it's big enough that Microsoft just made their second biggest acquisition ever to buy a company that just does natural language processing for the medical field. And they just spent, I think, $19 billion on it. Um, just on the one company to do medical transcription stuff. I so, mean, it's yeah. worth going back and seeing how much Apple bought Siri for back before anybody even knew that was going to be a thing. Um, yeah. But Siri Making used to be an independent company. It used to be an app that you installed on your phone. So, yeah. They, yeah. they got a, a definite bargain on that one. Oh, yeah. Finally, let's talk about, give us why we use the word model. Because you've said it a couple times. Let's let's give them a reason why it's the word model works. So model is one of the few words in this entire stack I like. Um, because it's actually a really good abstraction. Um, so in this case, uh, a model, the definition of model is the product of an AI's training. So once you have trained an AI, you can theoretically understand what will happen to any data that you put into it. You can theoretically trace this set of rules and be like, okay, this is going to happen. Just like having a model house from a set of blueprints. And that's why it's called the model because the model is the, the shape or the template of the AI's understanding of the world. And sometimes that can be the expected results, and sometimes you get unexpected results, and you end up creating new models. Yes. Yes. There we go. Okay, so a couple of things that we talked about in our discussion here, but this gets much more into the ethics part of things. So black box first, because that's, that's it a, should have been a at the simple top. term. No, it it's, a simple, no it's, it's a simple, easy term, and then we're just going to go for the next six hours on bias and just and algorithmic. Oh, I've got coffee on, so I'm ready. Great, we can do this. <laughs> okay, so black box, um, hilariously, exactly what it sounds like, an opaque box you can't see into. So in AI, a black box AI is any AI 
where you cannot for yourself look at what's happening and determine what the result will be by walking through the steps. Um, frequently, how black box AI come about is a simple system over time evolves and evolves and evolves until it has been trained and the algorithms have been tuned and results have been specified and updated and so on. And suddenly you have no idea what's in there because there are 85 rules, half of which you've never seen before. You don't know what order they're applied in and it all happens in fractions of a second. Uh, we did have one other mention for the when we were talking about the Google images about how the, the quality seems to have gotten worse recently. And the question was, is that by design or is that just a factor of the algorithms not working well? Unfortunately, I'm not a specialist in search, which is where I suspect the issue actually is. But my guess is that over time, noise pollutes data sets and makes them harder to use. And there's just so many more pictures out there and to do that kind of stuff. And the ways that it's analyzing them, my guesses are fairly still are still fairly brute forcey. So it's things like large matching areas of color or, you know, roughly same number of figures or that kind of thing, because they're just trying to generate consumer results quickly. Yeah. Um, and so spending the time on optimizing is probably not where they're investing the money. Again, armchair diagnosis, do not work for Google, have no special insight. I'm professionally obligated to say that. However, one of the other things that also happens with that, I think, um, is that it's not uh, uh, intentional uh, to have gotten worse but it is something that they definitely, as you were saying, they don't spend the money on to make better either. And we all expect better. We are probably getting the same results we got four years ago, but we just expect better results because it's four years later. And those results are not appreciably better for us at the moment, which leads us into our next topic of bias. The human bias of I want something to be better is also mirrored by AI producing. Oh, bias, 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 bias everywhere. So, all right, I'm going to say a spicy thing here. <clears throat> and I'm going to say a spicy thing because it's a thing you would not expect to hear from me. Technology is neutral. Algorithms are neutral. AI is neutral. Humans are biased AF. Like, mm -hmm. we are biased in so many ways that we don't even think about. But I guarantee you, like, you have experienced a moment of bias within the last hour. How do I know that? Because you made a choice between two things and you picked one and not the other. And I know you didn't do a full research project before you did it. <laughs> I know you didn't. Right? You pick your snacks and you pick your favorite food. You pick your outfit and you're biased towards colors that make you feel better. You, you freaking pick toothpaste by what you think is going to taste good, right? But these are all biases. 
So humans are just big bias machines. Technology is neutral, but humans make technology, and so they encode their biases into it. And so algorithms have preferences. And it feels weird to say that because they are inanimate mathematical formulas. But algorithms have preferences, and they have preferences because the people who wrote them have preferences, and that's what they were actually writing down. When you create AI, you are trying to replicate how you make a decision. And honestly, like if this is if this is the only thing you take away with you, let this be the thing you carry with you. All of your decisions are a product of bias. It is natural. It is human. It is not good. It is not bad. It is it is morally neutral, but it is something to be aware of. And making AI is the process of offloading that decision making. And so if we want to see results that match how we think, of course, we are going to write rules that carry our preferences, which are our biases. And I think that that's a really key point is that everyone has a bias. It doesn't mean that just because you're biased, you're an evil person. It just means you're a human. And these tools are there to be used by humans, preferably, and we will use them in the correct way. And we will be able to, we hope people learn to compensate for those. And that's what that algorithmic discrimination. So let's cover that, how those, how that specialized part of bias is. To tag one more thing onto bias before we get to mm -hmm. algorithmic sure, sure. discrimination. I'm going to say another thing that's going to sound really spicy, but like food for thought, chew on it. There are good biases too, and we are trying to find them and include them in our AI as well, right? Like we want to find that that surprise kid who's never gotten a shot who we should give the scholarship to because they're going to go and invent the cure to cancer. We want to find that kid who's going to figure out how to desalinate the ocean so we have enough water for everybody who, you know, how up till now all of their creative design work has been in Lego, right? Like, so we want these good biases. And that is also a point to remember, right? Like, bias is neutral. There are negative ones. And there are positive ones, and we want to try to encode the positive ones. Um, and just to hammer it home for you, Chloe, that you're you are make your bias to make you biased a little bit. You mm -hmm. did make perfectly good sense. We had somebody in the audience who said, "So your bias is unintentionally programmed into the yep. AI." Yep. So see, you've made your point. Um, and so from there, let's talk about algorithmic discrimination which is the phrase for all of that negative bias that gets encoded and then enforced. Algorithmic discrimination, um, some really great examples from the news. Uh, you may have read about uh, Facebook real estate redlining, where they were only showing ads for houses in certain places to people that they had categorized as wealthy white people. And they were specifically holding those advertisements back from people that they had categorized as black. That's that's already algorithmic discrimination because we have laws that say fair housing means any person who has the money to make a down payment on a house is entitled to apply to make that down payment. However, there's an additional layer there that is invisible from the outside, 
which is that this redlining was done by an AI consuming your Facebook and making decisions about you. I have been categorized on Facebook at various times as a young black man, age 18 to 25, because I happen to really like Wiz Khalifa. Now they're holding housing ads back from me because they think I'm a young black man. So now there's been a second layer of discrimination, right? Because now additional people are being kept back by something they can't challenge. They have no clue it's there. They have no idea how this decision was made, right? We come back to this black box. How did Facebook decide I was a 18 to 25 year old black man? So that like that is a, a stunning example. Another really great example um, that you read about a lot is uh, in job advertisements. Men are frequently shown a set of job advertisements online that women never get access to, ever. More senior engineering positions, more senior technical positions, more senior positions that require greater amounts of education that aren't in soft fields, right? Business executive positions. Frequently women miss out on these because the algorithm holds it back from them because they're not qualified as a category. That is algorithmic discrimination. And it's not that somebody put it into the algorithm to say, no, don't. No, 100% what happens. So like with the housing ads, what happens is housing people say, well, we don't want to show it to anyone who makes under $100,000 a year because they're not going to be able to make the down payment. And we don't want to show it to anyone who uh, is likely to be carrying a high level of consumer debt because they won't be able to make the down payment. And they have all these requirements. And when you input those requirements, it turns out that they list out a set of human biases that equate to don't let people of color apply for these houses. Yeah. And it falls, like you were using earlier, you know, management, jobs, et cetera, and all those sorts of things. So yeah, yep. it's it's yep. figuring out where, um, as, and the kicker pointed out the kicker of all yeah. of this remember we talked about how it's reinforcement based training mm -hmm. so every time those redlined ads are shown only to upper class white families and an upper class white family buys that house it strengthens the ai to only continue showing those listings to the kind of person who was already successful because AI doesn't, the algorithm does not have that leap of intuition now, to say, we should show somebody else. In those situations with, say, the executive job positions, mm -hmm. over time, we create a world in which no woman can meet the qualifications for the AI because none of them have ever had a chance to apply for the jobs that it now requires them to have had. So we literally create situations that people cannot escape. And we don't even understand how we're doing it because we're using, as I said, these black box AIs where we don't understand how the rules are being applied and what they're actually doing. Dum dum. It's not all bad, guys. I promise. It it does it does get 
better. And he, this, I'm going to stop sharing the PowerPoint. No, you know what? I'm going to go back to our original uh, quote here because I want to show that here um, as what we're talking about here for what are we doing to stop this harm? What are we doing or what's po the ways we can discuss about how to break that cycle like you were just talking about for that? Gosh, I love the good news part. I love the good news part. Um, so the first thing that like actually will make a huge difference and will have a real impact like and and involves nothing more than spending a little extra time with the technology you are already using. Become aware of the ways AI is being used in your life and the influences that it has. Right? So when you go to Google, think about the results that you're being shown and ask yourself, how did these results come from that question, right? Did were they generated in an intelligent way that makes sense? Is this are these answers I would expect to see when I go search this thing, right? Or, you know, the next time Alexa turns on by accident because you had this panel running and I said her name, think about whether that's something you're really comfortable with in your house, that there's this device that's gonna listen to you and process these instructions, whether you're paying attention to it or not, right? But like the first level is awareness and becoming aware of all of how these systems sort of touch your life, right? Um, does your electricity company use an AI to help you intelligently meter your electricity? Because that's actually like a super great use, right? Like, let's find the off-peak hours and shift your load there if we can, right? Mm -hmm. So, so find all these places where the AI is is present in your life, and then ask yourself, is it contributing something valuable to me? And if it's not, see if there's a way you can divest from it, right? Because detox is just a huge part. Like, take a step back from the systems that are influencing everything around you, which is actually really hard, right? And pick the ones that either you want to interact with or you have to interact with and become knowledgeable about how they work. Become knowledgeable about what their that's, problems are. Right. And that's the key thing there is figuring out where are those, how do, how do, how does the average everyday person figure out where the potential problems are and not be in the, oh, I'm not going to have that voice thing in my house ever mm -hmm. because I don't trust it. And it's like, well, here's who you need to trust. It's not the voice thing you need to worry about. You need to worry about the company behind it. And are you, I, I make the joke all the time in my voice assistant class, you know, I, I trust Amazon more that they are trying to get me to buy more things. And as long as I'm aware of that idea, then I know that they're using my data, they're using that to, to affect me and do that. Whereas if Google is trying to do it for me, I don't know how Google's gonna make money on learning all of my habits other than the, you know, okay, Google open the garage door and they'll be like, sure, but first, did you know you could save 15% or more? And I'm like, no, 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 no. This is not how I want my world to be. I want you to use this for good and to make life better, but not necessarily to just sell my data to some other company for those things.
I mean, so there's some good news there too. Again, I don't work for Google, no special knowledge. This is all just speculation based on what I would do as an engineer, right? Mm -hmm. But Google has integrated product development. They have they have a full stack, right? So maybe part of how Google makes money on that is now they know your data. They know approximately when you're going to come home. Your smart thermostat, you know, your Nest thermostat can adjust to that, right? So now it kicks on to heat up the house about 20 minutes before you average, okay, Google, open the garage door. Mm -hmm. Well, here's an additional benefit. Not only do they make money from you coming into Nest, right? But now they can go to municipalities, right? And say, hey, we can help you manage the electric grid better. Can we get a tax break? So that's how they're making money. Yeah. That's my bet. That's how they're making money. That seems seems to be a fair idea there, yeah. And I think like there are good and bad sides to that, right? Like I, I have feelings about capitalism and whether or not we should be giving people tax breaks to do corporate things. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I like I love trees. So if you want to manage power more smartly and save some trees, I'm here for it, right? That's yeah. a great use of AI. Um, I think. Some of the places where it gets tricky and it's easy to bag on Facebook. I hate doing it, but it's easy. Um, there the is the present thing that everybody knows about the newsfeed. Yeah. There are a hundred different things I could say about the newsfeed. But the thing I keep coming back to is that Facebook prioritizes engagement because what they sell is your attention. And that AI is tuned to make you stay on that page. And what Facebook discovered is that unhappy people spend more time on Facebook. That is an AI tuned to make you miserable. Uh, and that's what's again, it's it's right. And again, it's using the tool in a bad yep. way, yep. In, a, in a biased way towards something that we as a as a traditional group in society, we would not say that was a good use of the tool. Yep. Except that the small side of people who are going to make a lot of money off of using the tool that way are the ones who are going to push that along. And so frequently, if I can't figure out what the effect and the motivation in my life are from some AI interaction, what I do is I sit down and I ask myself, okay, what was the obtained result? Like what happened here? So for example, I was miserable and I stayed on Facebook all day, scrolling my feed, trying to find stuff to make me feel better. Okay, what are the possible reasons that could be? One, the AI is bad at its job. It's giving me bad data, bad results. Two, there is a reason for it to make me feel miserable all day. There's a reason to stay here. Three, Today just happened to be a really bad day where people were randomly feeling terrible all over the place. Okay, let's repeat the experiment a couple of times. Now I've got a week's worth of data gathered maybe over the course of a month to make sure that I'm not clustering around a crisis event, right? I'm still feeling miserable every time I scroll Facebook. All right, there is some motivation behind the AI working that way. And whether it is an intended effect or an unintended effect, that's the point at which I need to be aware and step back and say, how do I want to engage with this? Right? And you, I think you can do that really with any sort of technical interaction you have. You might have to have it a couple of times to do that analysis, but like, those are kind of the questions. 
and I think that, you know, you, you hit upon it there of we all have to be aware. Like you said earlier, we all have to understand what tools either we are using or are being used on us yep. to, to be able to pay attention to these sorts of things. Um, so the other question, no, you just had a thought, finish it for oh, me. Oh, I was going to say, and the one thing, like, if I had a magic wand, the one change I would make today to AI ethics across the field, I would make it mandatory to disclose when you are interacting with AI, whether it be uh, you are going to be passed through something and rated on it, whether it be you're talking to a chat bot, whether it be it's metering your, your energy, whether it be you have called into a thing and you are speaking your birth date into the phone. In the same way that before every service call, they say this call is being recorded and potentially monitored, I believe that it should be required to disclose you are interacting with a computer system that will do X, Y, Z things. Now, at this point of, in our technological life, are we already past the point where there would never be a time that we're yeah. not? I think it's impossible at this point. I think you have, there, there are too many variants of AI in day-to-day -day life. Like to pull it back in its most basic level, you can think of credit scoring as a kind of AI, right? Like that system is now done in this it's very algorithm. Yeah. It's done in this very opaque black box way where you're passed through a computer and it generates a result. And there are versions of it that now do things like ingest your social media and add that sort of data. And I can tell you all kinds of horrifying stories, but yes, you have a permanent file and computers read it all the time. Yeah. Um, and that's the truth. My of wife the refuses to be, my wife refuses to be on social media and I'm telling her, I continue to tell her it doesn't really matter. They know. <laughs> I, I can show you on Facebook where you have a file on Facebook right now. It's I try to explain this to people because it's this really hard thing to wrap your head around. Facebook has a model of basically every human. If they don't have one, they can generate it pretty quickly as soon as they find out who you are. Um, people are always saying things like, oh, the microphone on my phone is listening to me. And that's why I got ads for this thing that I've only ever talked about once. I guarantee you that's not why. I guarantee you that the reason why is that Facebook has a version of your data that creates a picture of you complete enough for them to predict you were about to talk about that thing. Yeah. You have given them signals you don't even know you have given them, and all they are doing is regurgitating the results of that. Uh, from a talk you did years ago, uh, I've used your quote of, no, they're not following you. You're just not that interesting. They automatically know, they know what you're about to do just based on all of the information they've gathered. They, they don't have to listen to a microphone because they just know as you're scrolling through your newsfeed, oh, wait, his thumb paused a little bit longer on that dining room table ad that we were showing. Okay, we're going to you know pick up those pixels and we're going to take advantage of that and move those things. So... And the thing about it is, it's not this like creepy minority report determinism thing. It's not like the picture is going to tell them what you're going to do two hours from now. That's not, we have not reached that level of modeling people. And if we ever do, I hope I have already deceased. What they, what the thing is, is that when they make a wrong guess, you don't notice, right? 
So even if only one in five guesses are accurate as hell, it feels creepy because that one that's spot on is spot on. And you've just let the other four that were wrong filter into the background noise. Yeah. They're not following you. You're not that interesting. But the minute you get that interesting, they know exactly where you are. And whoever wants macaroni and cheese tonight, out of our audience, I know I just triggered somebody that, wait, how did he know I wanted macaroni and cheese tonight? It's that simple. <laughs> it's that's how they work. It's the, uh, it's the, uh, psychics, the ghost psychics, the mediums, mm -hmm. where they have you fill in a survey when you are in the audience. So they take all these surveys from all the people who come in. And then when the psychic stands up on stage, they're like, so someone in the audience had a grandfather with the first initial M. Like four people have put on the paper that their grandfather's name was Matthew or Mark or Mike or whatever, right? Like you give these signals all yeah. the time. You don't realize you're doing it. And the AI, right, are optimized to consume that and then spit out things. Mm -hmm. And as long as we are in a system where spitting out things is incentivized by money. It is going to be creepy. It is going to be invasive. It is going to yeah. know all kinds of things you wish it didn't know. And all of that will be turned to trying to get you to take your dollars out of your pocket and give them to someone like Jeff Bezos. Mm -hmm. Yep. And you have to know that that's happening to you or else you won't. I mean, you, you just won't be able to defend yourself. I get diaper ads all the time because I intentionally click on every new little baby ad that I can. I don't have kids. I don't have any kids at all, but I've taught the algorithm over the years and I get diaper ads at least once a week on my Facebook feed just because of that. My favorite is I can tell when I have broken Twitter Every so often I'll start blocking all the sponsored content they send me and I go and clean mm -hmm. out my profile. Oh, hot tip. If you use social media, a great way to find out what the algorithm thinks of you is that somewhere in your settings, there's always an opportunity to get your data back and in it, there will be some kind of profile of you that will say what advertisers you bucketed with and usually some kind of demographic information that it's intuited about you. It's a great way to draw awareness like for yourself around the signals you're putting out, where the AI is, what it's consuming, like looking at that profile is amazing. Um, and if you can compare that, and as you just mentioned, Twitter and Facebook both have those profiles on you. You can go out, it's yep. a requirement. Uh, in fact, part of the EU, um, so oh, I just GDP, lost it's GDPR. GDPR, thank you. GDPR does not apply to US citizens unless your data is processed somewhere in Europe. However, if your data has been processed somewhere in Europe, thanks to GDPR, which is the Global Data Protection Regulation, I can't believe I still know that. Um, <laughs> thanks to the GDPR, you can request your file and the company is legally obligated to send you everything they have. And I believe everything they've done with it. So like if they credit score yeah. you, if they, register you to vote, like whatever. I think they have to disclose all that too. Yeah, I've seen some of those 800 page reports that people have talked about and done. But like 
Chloe was mentioning, you can do that. Even if you're here in the United States, you still have access to that through Facebook and Twitter. And it's always worth issuing the request. And, see it. and you can go in and find out exactly what each of these different companies has said and thought about you and see how they compare to each other also. Because mm -hmm. one of those biases that we all have is how we use our various social media types yep. for which things do you do? Yep. Do you spend your time on Instagram looking at cats or do you spend your time on Facebook looking at police shootings or where do you do, you know, what do you do with each of your platforms and how that works for you creates your own personal biases that you're inserting into these algorithms. But it also shows you where things are being reinforced. And so this is a thing I definitely wanted to make sure we talked about, which is um, AIs and radicalization. Um, because I think given our current cultural context, that's a super important topic to touch on before we leave tonight. Yeah. Um, and so do you remember when I was talking about the job listings and I was like, it becomes this sucking pit that you can never get out of? AIs and radicalization are the same way. Um, there's a joke that is not really a joke. That on YouTube, you are only ever three clicks away from Nazis. I wish it was funny. I wish it was a joke. But at the end of the day, I can start at a cartoon and be at bigoted, terrible material in three to five clicks. If I let it autoplay, I can get there in 20 minutes. What happens is you feed in a signal, an AI that are motivated, motivated, right? Remember, these are human tools. Humans have written them to do things. Humans wrote these AI to keep you engaged with their site. So you click on a video on YouTube. Humans have programmed YouTube's AI to keep you watching YouTube because then you will watch ads and they will make money. And what keeps people engaged is successively more interesting novel content, right? We all wanna see the next episode of our show. We all wanna hear a new pop single. We all wanna read a new book, right? Novel content is where we wanna live as humans. And it turns out that bigoted content is novel and it inspires feelings and feelings make you engage. And even if you start by engaging in refusal, even if you start by engaging in protest, right? The AI will take over and it will feed you into this cycle and it will nudge you towards these videos. And you'll be like, okay, well, most of that's stupid, but they had a really good point about the litter. I'm gonna watch another video by them. Oh, well, most of this is terrible, but they had a really good point about how neighborhoods are becoming more run down. And then the next thing you know, these are people who are arguing against any kind of immigration policy. They're arguing against any kind of ecological policy, right? It's not even, it's not even I don't want to do extreme stuff, which like I have political leanings and they are very public on Twitter. So if you want to know how I stand, it's all right there. Um, but like, that's how you end up in this radicalized place of, of immigrants are bad. Right? Well, no, <laughs> like 
Let yeah. me tell you all of the amazing things that immigrants do every day. Oh, wait, yeah. I don't have to. They're human beings, right? Like, mm -hmm. and, and, and it's entirely, it becomes the self-propelled machine that the entire point of it is to grind dollars out of people. Yeah. It is to grind dollars out of you. You are being ground into this machine and you are being fed information that you might not want. You might actually want to insert yourself in this process and say, no, thank you. I do not want racist videos, but the AI never gives you that opportunity. And so it becomes this mill wheel. And that is how we end up in a place where people are committing shootings and live streaming it. Yeah. They're, they're making these manifesto videos that then go right back into this radicalization mill. Right. And it is mm -hmm. all, it is all because the motivation came down to dollars and companies care more about dollars than people. And until we, yes, children, children, there, there is a great Buzzfeed article out there. I will send it to Bob to share where they actually did a deep dive on how you get into radicalizing content from kids YouTube. But like kids, kids don't know what they're being fed, right? So you're trusting that it's Dora the Explorer, and the next thing you know, they've been yeah. watching Young Hitler for an hour. Like, and it's entirely because the motivation is money. And until we people in general start demanding that these tools that touch our lives have to respect our human dignity, it's gonna continue to happen. And so like, I know everybody out here is like, I'm not a programmer. I'm not going to go work at Facebook. How can I change things? How you change things is by getting involved locally and by pestering your Congress, Congress people, send postcards, send letters, send phone calls, send emails, do whatever it takes become, to make your voice become heard. Become the bias in the algorithm yourself. Yes. Become the bias. Fight for control of the machines because Skynet isn't going to come take us over because the machines become sentient. Skynet is going to take us over because the algorithm is going to feed us a stream of content that we can no longer insert ourselves into and control. And we won't, unfortunately, people won't even notice that they've fallen down this rabbit hole until it becomes too late. And then people look around and say, wait, what? Yep. And it's hard yeah. to get out of it's, and that's the problem, right? We we're feeding people into these rabbit holes that it's weeks to radicalize and years to recover, right? Yeah. It takes weeks to learn to hate. And I know people who've been working on it for decades, right? You can read stories about people who've been recovering for decades who are still finding grenades in themselves. Yeah. And so, yeah, there's, it is, it's a crazy thing. And, and partially this is where, um, and at, at the federal level, they're, be, they're starting to have these conversations about how big these companies can be and what are your options for these companies. Um, and it's not about the, the easy thing of, well, YouTube's too big and we just have to take them down and take them apart. It's no, any company can do this now. This is not any, anybody can go buy these AI black boxes off the shelf and start using these and start going out and doing this and building this. So it, it's really a question of um, educate, like, like we've said a couple times tonight, it's educate yourself on what the possibilities are so you know 
to keep that eye out for where are you? Are you really centered or do you really feel like you have that, you know, where does your compass point? Where does your bias aim? And uh, hopefully it is in a, in a good positive way for all of mankind. And then we can make that happen for, and that will help ease everybody's biases that way too. And I will say like the bright note in this for me, the thing I hang on to, like, it would be real easy for me as an engineer to look at all of this and as an ethicist and to just like crawl under my bed and never come back out because this is just awful, no matter how you slice it. But what I tell myself every day is that if we write a system that can oppress people, we can write a system that can uplift them. If we can become conscious and we can retake control and we can advocate for things that are meaningful to us as people, you know, human dignity, equality, opportunity. If we can do those things, right, then AI turns us into that centaur, maybe even grows us wings, right? That's, that's the possibility. But what we have to do is stop letting what exists now and the limitations that exist now drive us into a corner where we lose control and we let the machines make the decisions. So nicely said. Thank you so much for being here this evening, Chloe. It's been a really interesting conversation for everybody, I am certain. I bet everybody's going to want to go back and re-listen to this and rethink about this, talk about it with your friends, and come up with these ideas for us all. Quick uh, quick note yeah, before no, we all leave, because it's a library. Um, yeah. I do really, really want to recommend the book, Algorithms of Oppression. Um, oh, if you yes. want to educate yourself on this topic, Algorithms of Oppression is the best book I have ever read. It's approachable, it breaks it down, it covers situations that you have encountered so that you can see how it applies in your real life. And um, I also- Give us was the name again, clearly? Mm -hmm. The name of the book again was? Algorithms of Oppression. Um, and I was lucky enough to meet the author once and I think they're an absolute genius, so can't recommend it enough. If you want to go out and get that education, that is definitely the place to start. I am going to bring that up on here for people right now. Here is that book right there, Algorithms of Oppression, and it is in the library. You can see it here. We've got some reviews of it, and we also have a downloadable version and we have the bed tree version if that you would like that one instead. We have four of the um, physical copies and two of the electronic copies that we got in uh, after, for after this talk. That is our program for the day. Again, thank you, Chloe, for being here with us for Built in Broward and for Creation Station here. Everybody, if Email us, creationstation at broward.org if you have any questions or comments that you want us to forward along. And you should automatically get a copy of this recording, everybody who has registered. And I'm going to post a copy of this up uh, on the library Facebook page uh, sometime during the week. Thank you all. Have a great night.